you know, it looked like the rain was letting up a bit. And then, okay, let's carry on. I was like, there's a hotel, you know, at 54 kilometers from my Wahoo, like 14 kilometers from here, there's a hotel. So let's carry on. At least we can stop there and get something to eat or something, you know? And, um, Anyways, uh, we continue on a bit. Then it really starts to rain, like really, really, really bad. I was like, oh, please, you know, and we stop again. And then, you know, it's like we have a discussion. I'm like, we can't stay here. Or I can't stay here. I'm not staying here. <laughs> I'm going to ride the 14 kilometers long. And, you know, most of it was downhill. There was one climb. Most of it was downhill. And, um just make it to this hotel and then figure out what to do. So we start and, you know, it's wet. It's super cold. You think a descent is good, but not when you're freezing, you know, you can't keep warm. And at this stage too, it should be noted, like this section of road, I'd gone past about three accidents, you know, old ones, like trucks beat up. And now in this rain, these huge trucks are kind of coming down sideways, you know, down the road, like sliding. And I just felt like, what the hell am I doing? (laughs) What am I doing? What am I actually doing? For who? What am I doing? And, you know, I said 54 kilometers. I'm going to make it there. It's 54 kilometers from here. And I get to 54 kilometers and there's no hotel. There's two guys, like two army dudes. And I stop because the truck's coming by me really, really close. I stop. And one of the guys comes over. He's like, are you okay, sister? And I went, no, no, I'm not. And I burst into tears, (laughs) having like a meltdown because I was like, not okay. I was like, I am not okay. And I was like, is there a hotel around here? And he goes, the other guy goes, it's 200 meters up the road. Oh, no. And I said, (laughs) so the yeah. Go on. I said, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> He's like, yes. I went, okay, thank you. <laughs> and anyways, I cycled on. And from that 200, cl- 200 meter stretch, I just went, I don't hate myself. I don't hate myself. I don't hate myself. I love myself. I love myself. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? This is The Metal Set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. Hello, Dawn here. So here it is, my race around Rwanda race report. If you follow the podcast, it comes as no surprise that this is a DNF story. I did not finish the race. I pedaled and walked some 713 kilometers out of a possible 1,000 kilometers in the race. To further add some context for those who are perhaps new to the podcast, Race Around Aranda is a self-supported ultra cycling race that takes place annually in February. It is 1,000 kilometers with 20,000 meters of climbing. And this year it was billed as 30% gravel. It was my fourth ultra cycling race, having previously raced three in 2019 two of those being successful. It's taken me quite a while to really face myself when it comes to reliving the experience, as it was never my intention to not finish the race. Not finishing is always a possibility, but certainly not something you go into a race wanting to happen. This was an incredibly hard podcast to release into the world. And you may be thinking, dude, it's really not that deep. 
And maybe it isn't, but I do know that ultra cycling teaches you a lot about yourself and some of it is quite hard to face. The process of putting this together made me respect our guests all the more for coming on and candidly sharing their defeats and struggles along with the joys and triumphs. Joining me in the podcast to relive the experience is my coach, Neil Copeland, who did the race a couple of years ago and also reported on the race for Dot Watcher. Because Neil and I love to chat, I've split this episode into two parts, both live now. To keep it simple, part one discusses the day-to-day of the race and part two chats through my thoughts on not finishing what and what I would have done differently. We also touch upon safety in the ultra cycling world for all participants and women in particular. It's impossible to capture all that happens in an ultra cycling race. But as I wrote on Instagram about my DNF, there's a Buddhist saying that life is made up of 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. To me, that sums up the ultra racing experience to a T, except condensed into a few days. Before we go into the episode, I wanted to say thank yous to all my fellow racers who I met along the way. You made my race. I also want to thank Edge Cycling for their support in loaning me the wonderful Curve Cycling Kevin gravel bike, which I loved so much that I bought it. Other thank yous are included in the podcast. And also, please check out the show notes for resources, as I shared earlier episodes we did with nine women who also raced around Rwanda. And it is wonderful to listen to all of their perspectives as well. With that, I hope you enjoy the episode and don't forget to check out part two. Thanks as always for listening. (sighs) Hello, Neil. Dawn, hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I am very well. I'm excited for you to join me today. And this is not, I'm not interviewing you. (laughs) You're interviewing me. (laughs) We have role reversal today. We do. We do. Um, Yeah. So we are chatting through my race around Rwanda experience. And I couldn't think of anyone better to ask than you because you're... (laughs) There you go. Wearing a shirt for anyone watching. Especially. And I've got a Rwanda Um, bicycle shirt on as well. But um, yeah, I couldn't think of anyone better to ask because obviously you coached me in the lead up to this race. You're still coaching me. And then you also did the race a couple of years ago. I think some some things have changed, which we'll chat about. Yes. And also you were covering it for Dot Watcher as well. So you kind of had a good overview of the race day by day, just not following the athletes that you coached, but everyone really, right? Yes. Yes. It was, it was very interesting to watch and really interesting to compare the year I did it with, uh, this year's event, because I think obviously Rwanda as a country develops so fast that everything changes and the course changes. And yeah, it was very clearly a very different experience, I think for a lot of riders. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I never did it before, but yeah. It was difficult. <laughs> okay. Well, look, right. Well, I shall now take over then as in, as interviewer. There um, you go. Before we get on to, you know, what you've been doing since coming back and then going into the race, just summarize it in a sentence. What was the Rwanda experience like? Oh my goodness. Um, I would say brutal yet beautiful. Okay. Good. Brutally beautiful. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like every ultra race I've done. (laughs) I feel like out of the four that I've done, 
this was by far the hardest race that I have ever done. <laughs> I mean, not done. I didn't finish it ultimately. Spoiler alert for everyone listening. But um, no, it was it was beyond brutal, beyond anything else I've experienced. Okay, so uh, and we will get into that, and I can't wait to hear the stories. So you've been back what four weeks now since the race? Uh, yeah. Tell me, what, tell me what you've been up to since getting back. How have you been reintegrating back into normal life? <laughs> and are you still suffering from PTSD? <laughs> no, I did actually talk about the race with my therapist. So I feel oh, did like, you? yes, <laughs> I have processed the race um, because I had a lot of mixed feelings um, about the race and my experience and, you know, just kind of processing all of that. So I feel fully ready to talk about it now. Um, It's been super busy since I got back. So I got back to Dubai and right away I went on a staycation to the Intercontinental in Fujairah, which was amazing. Um, They're doing these wellness weekends with yoga and like cow ceremonies and just having beach and chill time. And it was really, really needed to be very honest with you just to chill out. I think Eddie slid into my DMs and was like, you're on vacation again. I was like, leave me alone. I deserve this. (laughs) And so that was really, really lovely. But up in Fujairah, I mean, as I was driving up there, I didn't take my bike, but there's quite a few gravel roads up there. I think I want to explore, um, you know, at some point. Um, I have last time I went cycling up there was uh, for those who are, are not familiar with the UAE. Fujairah is an emirate, a northern emirate, so about hour and an hour and a half north of Dubai. And there's some fantastic riding up there. Um, so yeah, hoping to go back, maybe stay at the Intercon Fujairah again and um, enjoy some gravel riding. I mean, other than that, work's been super busy. Had a couple of speaking opportunities, which was really, really cool. Talking about the medal set and what we're doing to elevate the voices of underrepresented athletes. Went to a Leaders in Sports Summit in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. And just kind of getting back to training-ish, as you've probably seen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll not get into that. Um, Well, whilst we're on the subject of training then, let's let's start to dig into the race around Rwanda. Um, Mm. How was your training in the lead up to the race? How did you feel uh, going into the start? You know, I felt super ready. Um, I don't know if you've got any thoughts as to how ready I was physically or what much more I could have done, but I, I felt really good physically in the lead up to the race. And, um, you know, one of the things that makes scratching from this race so difficult was that I felt physically able to complete it. So yeah, I felt really good about training. I felt like you had a good program outlined for me. I wasn't, I didn't feel too fatigued. I felt really good. Yeah. Good. I I mean, it's difficult because there's always more we think we can do. Yeah. We never think we're quite ready. Uh, but sometimes you've just got to throw yourself in and, and get to the start line because that's that's the one of the biggest challenges, right? Um, yeah. But you'd, you'd never been to Rwanda before? No, first time how in Rwanda. Was, first time in East Africa. How was arriving into Kigali? What were your impressions of Kigali? Um, how did that go? Yeah, Kigali is very, very green and it's beautiful. I mean, it's very hilly. <laughs> that was kind of noted because we were staying at uh, the nest in um, Kigali, which is about 500 meters, I think, from where the actual start line was. And there was just this super, super, super steep like climb to get there, like sh- really short. But I was just like, oh, I don't want to. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to ride up that. I might even walk it. But it, it, I mean, it was fine. It was rideable. But Um, Kigali was super nice, super busy, um, which kind of, 
I know you told me to go out and ride around a bit, but I knew we were getting out of Kigali quite, you know, early in the morning. And to be honest with you, I didn't really want to ride in any Kigali traffic because it looked hectic, if I'm honest. And somebody was talking about getting clipped by a truck. And I was like, no, I'm not riding Kigali until we're riding out of here. So yeah, it was fine. It was just really nice to see, you know, there's a lot of people staying at our hotel in particular. Um, Julie from Qatar, who I've done two races with uh, as well. So she was staying there. So it was just, yeah, it was a nice, nice vibe. Good. And uh, nothing to prepare you for what was about to to come then no <laughs> i was oddly serene <laughs> about all and, of it and how was it how was it catching up with all the other races i mean you know i know from doing the dot watcher commentary some you know very well-known riders there some very fast riders yes. uh quite a broad contingent of riders how was the how was the general vibe um how was the briefing how was everybody feeling as uh as you got towards race day I think everyone was super, super excited, you know, um, like there's always a nervous energy a bit, you know, you know what it's like. And I didn't really get too much of that. Like people were just kind of really happy to be there. Um, was just meeting people, going up and introducing myself to some of the people who were staying. Everyone was in like, you know, good vibes, good mood. Um, I did have a couple of people come up to me and say, oh, I listened to your podcast. It made me feel a lot better about the race. <laughs> And I have to apologize to them. Did the <laughs> same people come up to you afterwards and say, No, they completely right. ignored me. <laughs> About that podcast. So if you're listening and you heard the podcast before with Simon, <laughs> I see you. I see you. I feel you. And I'm sorry. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. <laughs> So I think it's always important to, you know, when we're talking about a race like this, it's very long, it's very complicated, there's lots of challenges to face. It's important to go in with a strategy and approach, yes. some kind of plan in your head, even if we know that plans don't usually survive first contact with the mm. ground. So what was your what was your strategy for the race? How were you planning on approaching it? I mean, it was really a checkpoint a day, except for that uh, huge section between checkpoint three and checkpoint four. That was my strategy um, to aim to reach, yeah, day one, reach checkpoint one and day two, ditto, day three. And then the last day I was going to decide on the fly, you know, during the race, what I would not, it ended up being my last day, but wasn't supposed to be my last day. But between checkpoint three and checkpoint four, which I think was three hundred kilometers and about 6,000 meters of climbing, like that big stretch, I was going to determine what I was going to do while I was out there. Cause I just thought there's too many variables to have a set goal in mind. The strategy other than that, I mean, just keep pedaling, eating, <laughs> eat, get provisions wherever you can. Uh, you know, because I've heard some people are saying, oh, there's lots of places everywhere. And people are like, oh, there's nothing anywhere. And I found it, um, you know, compared to all of the other races that I've done, there was less places to refuel, definitely, you know, and um, even if you could sometimes like some of the little shops that you stop in don't have didn't have refrigeration. So you were getting like a warm Fanta, which is fine. But it was just really pedal, try to reach a checkpoint a day, except for the long section and just enjoy, you know, being having the privilege to come, go to Rwanda and ride your bike. So that was my strategy. It was pretty simple. I tried to not let this get to me, but before the race, everybody's kind of checking out, you know, how much kit you have on your bike. And a few people had said to me, they're like, wow, you're, you're really, you know, you're traveling really light. And I was like, yeah, 
And then I was looking at everyone else's kids. I'm like, what do they have that I don't have <laughs> in there? But honestly, all my kit was perfect. Like I wouldn't fault that. Yeah. I just, I, and yeah, I, I think Rwanda, Rwanda is one of those races where because of the situation, because of the nature of what Rwanda is like, you, you're not going to sleep rough at the side of the road. Exactly. Um, yeah. You're not going to wild camp. Uh, so you are going to be either riding or in a hotel. So yeah. there's a whole a whole section of kit that you can just forget about, which I imagine a lot of people might have thought, oh, well, I might take a bivy or something like that. And did you feel there was anything missing in uh, your kit? No. No. No, no, no. No, I don't think so. I mean, later in the race, there was another um, racer. Uh, his name's Fergal. And Fergal is very, very experienced and has, I think, had tools for everything. And we were joking, and I'll talk about this later, but we were joking, like, I'm going to put Fergal on my kit list next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might uh, weigh a little bit more in the bag. Uh, okay, so, I mean, it's it's an early start. It's a 4 a.m. Yeah. start, uh, still dark. Um, everyone's collecting. Uh, the nerves are there. What were your thoughts on the start line? Pretty calm, actually. I don't really get too worked up, like... You know, I don't want to seem like, oh, I'm totally Zen or anything. But I mean, Julie and I had discussed the night before and we said we're not going to go super early to the breakfast or anything because we don't want anyone's nervous energy infecting <laughs> us. And um, yeah, I felt fine. I didn't, you know, ignorance is bliss. Right? <laughs> and I felt really good. I felt like, OK, this is I'm going to approach this the same way I have with any other race that I've done is just you know, keep moving, keep pedaling, whatever happens, take it as it comes and, uh, you know, deal with it if you have to and enjoy. So I felt good at the start line. Um, I didn't really have a mantra. I was just like, just keep pedaling, keep pedaling, keep eating. Yeah. It was a fun atmosphere at the start. You know, everyone's kind of, again, nervous energy, but like, you know, translating into excitement. So yeah, it was good. Good. And then the gun goes and you're off. So let's talk me through day one. Day one. Um, day one was great. Day one was uh, beautiful. I mean, we started on a Sunday. We started, I think, at 4 a.m. or 4.30 a.m. So we were going out of Kigali in the dark and going into sunrise, which was really, really nice. As an aside, the whole day, <laughs> and this is something women have to consider a lot, uh, found a place to have a wee <laughs> the whole day, which made me really happy and proud because <laughs> I was worried about that because I know Rwanda is super densely populated. So yeah, going out of Kigali, really, really nice. Uh, for the most part, it was flat. It was a really fast start. So like we had police escort, I think for about 45 kilometers outside the race and um, or outside the start line. And, um, you know, the front people, when the police escort stopped, it just seemed like, you know, super fast. Yeah. And we all kind of broke, you know, people who were towards the back broke up a bit. As the sun started to rise, you know, Sunday in Rwanda, there's quite a lot of churches and uh, people seem quite religious. So there was a lot of people heading to church, which was really, really nice to see. And churches were super busy. There were a lot of people, I think we went through one part, which was a university town. And there were like a lot of young people out running, you know, like jogging and doing their exercise. So it was like a really good vibe on a Sunday. The kids were... <laughs> Kids were all like, oh, Mazungu, Mazungu, and, you know, saying hello to us and stuff. Um, 
this was on the tarmac section, um, the first tarmac section. And yeah, it was just really, really nice. I remember another um, racer, Max, who caught up with me and I was, we were like, wow, this is beautiful. Rwanda is so beautiful. If it keeps going like this, we could definitely, you know, <laughs> famous last words. We were like, oh, you know, I could totally like, because uh, nobody knew what to expect, right? Really, you know, like until you're out on the out cycling and it just day one was really nice reached the tarmac um at that point i'd run into julie a couple of times so cycled next to her for a little bit of it on the tarmac and or sorry on the gravel and the gravel was nice you know it gravelly. was gravelly yeah but when i think about gravel i think about day one gravel i think maybe that's what gravel is. And that's what I thought. I was like, okay, this is gravel. <clears throat> I mean, going down the gravel as well, you're going, we're going into a bit more of a remote section, you know, than, than the tarmac that we were on. The kids were a little more intense. I'll say that <laughs> in the gravel section. <laughs> anyone, I don't think anyone's fully kind of shared this or told of me before the race, but like, yeah, there was a lot of kids. There's a lot of kids who are really they excited are to see you. Everywhere. Yes, yeah, super, super excited to see you, which is cool until you're going up a really steep climb and not feeling so great. <laughs> it's not so cool. And they're running alongside you. Mazunga, mazunga, mazunga. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it got, it got really hot that day as well. Um, and it was just super dusty. But we reached... I reached checkpoint one, I think after 11 hours, maybe of cycling, it was probably early evening, four, four, 5 PM earlier than that, maybe three. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, great. You know, feel, feel good and happy. And there was a few people at checkpoint one. And I think, you know, from my earlier research into the race, Checkpoint one is 170 kilometers. And the next biggest town, which would have been Biamba, was 100 kilometers along the way. And I was like, I'm not going to 100 kilometers. You know, that's too far. So um, 100 further on from the checkpoint. Yeah, further on to the checkpoint. But <clears throat> then chatter, you know, chatter amongst the group. There was a hotel at 45 kilometers. So we, you know, Julie and I were chatting and um, other people were chatting and everyone was kind of going you know, making it a point to go to this 45 kilometer hotel. So again, Julie and I were kind of riding similar pace. So around each other a bit and uh, we rode on and didn't uh, realize we were getting onto a gravel section. That's purely my, <laughs> you know, not really paying too much attention or you're just kind of like one track mind. So we went into a gravel section, which was along a lake, which was really, really nice. As it got darker, some of the sections some of the sections were a bit ruddy, you know, I was like, okay, I'm glad we didn't do this whole thing in, in the dark. And we reached uh, a hotel, which had a weird, like, it was like a beach resort on this lake. And it had a bit of a vibe, like a bar. <laughs> I, I think, I don't, I don't know if it was you or Jay sent me a voice message. And I saw some of the photos from some of the other competitors. And it, and it seems so there was another hotel a little bit further up as well. Uh, over a boat. Uh, you had to go on a boat. And you to had go to get on other. a boat. But yeah, yeah. you could see, so dot watching and, and getting ready to do the commentary for that night, you could see that there were these two groups of people clearly having a party. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, you guys were definitely on the party pace that day. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know that it was much of a party. Like, it was a bit, uh, like, it was clean, you know, clean hotel, like, you know, definitely. Yeah, it was great. You know, it was 
it was good. It was a good, ho- <laughs> it was, it was an interesting place because I think, um, there was a one group of, you know, I don't know if it was people who worked there or whatever, they were having a party the whole night and there was a bit of vibe in the like bar section of this, but it was funny. Cause we all rolled in like, you know, horribly dirty with our bikes and, um, yeah, then we were in the mix as well. Um, but we ate there and then, um, yeah, slept there and was up, we're up pretty early, uh, the next morning again. So did you manage to get a good night's sleep the first night? Maybe four hours. Um, yeah, maybe that. I don't know. I, <laughs> I was, um, telling Julie about your trick to dry your clothes and nothing right, dried. Okay. <laughs> nothing oh, dried. Okay. So harsh words were sent in my direction the next morning <laughs> yeah. as you're putting on a, a bit of soggy spray, wet, maybe. <laughs> a soggy wet, uh, chamois pad. Yeah. Oh, doesn't bear I mean, thinking I about. don't think, I don't think anything really dried at that elevation because Kigali is like 1500 meters. And I felt like we were just going between 1500 meters and 3000 meters the whole race. So yeah, I mean, I was happy with progress on day one, slept about five hours and then, um, just before dawn to, to, um, start riding again. And, um, day two, let's see, let's try to remember. (laughs) So, you know, day one, day one's gone pretty well. You feel confident you've had a good night's sleep. Uh, it's all seeming pretty good so far. Uh, yeah. And then day two, obviously your target is to get to CP2. Yes. And you're heading up towards the Twin Lakes. So through past Bayumba and up towards the Twin Lakes. Yeah. So where, where did it start to get hard? Um, I mean, I don't think now in hindsight, that day was not hard at all. <laughs> like it wasn't, it wasn't hard. I remember so we left and we continued on another bit of gravel, you know, to, to reach a tarmac. And then we had this super long climb. I think it was like something like, I don't know, 20 something kilometers long to Biamba. And, um, that was fine. You know, tarmac climb it's, yeah, it's a climb. It is what it is. Got to Biamba. I tried to get some food there. Um, I was running low on the food I had brought with me. I tried to get some food, which was a little challenging because, I don't really eat meat and went in somewhere, got samosas, was trying to do the translation, the translation for, you know, vegetarian or vegan and yeah, ended up getting some kind of meat samosas, which I couldn't eat. So, Mm. (laughs) so refill was a bit of a challenge there, but leaving Biamba, that was kind of the first taste of what was to come because there was a really... This is where I was like, okay, is this gravel? Because <laughs> it was quite ruddy and uh, technical at some sections going down. I, I'm sure not technical for you, but for me, definitely like it was nothing like day one, day one's gravel. It was a bit more challenging than that. And, you know, like holding on and just not being able to enjoy a descent. Yeah. <laughs> So that started and that was quite a long gravel section. I think it was 75 kilometers or so from there. And um, I mean, that gravel section went from, you know, challenging to beautiful to challenging to beautiful. And hindsight, it was mostly beautiful. It was really, really nice um, ride out of there. It was, I guess, reaching the tarmac after such a long period was really, really nice. And then it was really quite a long, um, quite a long tarmac section a bit downhill to cp2 so it was very straightforward day two yeah and, and i know this because this bit of the route has changed since since the year i did it but i remember just the most 
incredible views over the mountains and twin lakes with volcanoes in the background just really really incredible did you get that same sense of beauty from the place going into checkpoint two uh the the bit around uh the twin lakes yeah it was beautiful it was really nice yeah i mean it was just kind of like you know continue on um yeah it was it was beautiful now that i think about it you know like and there were i mean there were sections there was one section i turned the corner and a school had get let out and i was like oh no (laughs) (laughs) I was looking for a line to kind of go past very, very quickly. (laughs) At this stage, stage, were you already at the point where you felt it? It's great day one. The kids are running alongside you. They're cheering for you and everything. After a while, it starts to really, it becomes more difficult to deal with. (laughs) Were we we there yet? Yeah, no, we were there yet. We were there, definitely. Like, I mean, they're sweet, you know, and they're super curious and excited to see you. But you just kind of want to, (laughs) like, avoid. And I think this is a really, this is one of the things about doing the race around Rwanda is you think you might be in this remote African country, but you are very rarely alone. Yeah. It it often feels just like one continuous town. You come out of Kigali and you seem to be riding for five hours before you stop being in a town. Yeah, yeah. It's very true. I mean, I said to you just kind of chatting before, like this race was challenging for me in that it was kind of, you know, two ends of the spectrum, you were either surrounded by people and I'm, you know, a secret introvert. (laughs) I really like my alone time. You hide it well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I am, but I really love my alone time, you know, and I need to recharge my social batteries when I'm around a lot of people. And, um, so being around people all the time, you know, who are really interested in you and stuff, it was quite overwhelming. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, at night, you would be completely alone, like alone, alone. You think you're the only person in the country, (laughs) like that kind of alone. So, yeah, I mean, at that day, yeah, day two, I was like, you know, leave me alone, please leave me alone in my head when I saw kids. But again, super cute. And, And that section there, I mean, there were sections where it was you know, remote-ish, like there were just one or two people around and, you know, you weren't kind of like surrounded by, you know, a town or anything like that. And it was beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. I was sending, you know, when it stopped to have a moment, I was sending voice notes to people to say how amazing it was. But yeah, that was pretty straightforward too. Day two, arrived at the African Rising uh, Cycling Center, which was great. Uh, They had a mechanic on hand. And it turns out my mechanic in Dubai is Rwandan, Oliver. Hi, Oliver. And he knows the guys there, so they were expecting me. <laughs> Excellent. That's, to me. <laughs> that's the welcome you want. I, and again, you know, from the, from the dot watching perspective, where Rob and I are looking, doing the evening updates. And again, there were, it looked like party time at the Rwandan <laughs> Cycling Center. It looked like you were there. You're all there fairly, fairly good time. It wasn't super, super late. And uh, yeah, party on again. Yeah, it was good. I mean, nice big meal, you know, made there and um, like comfortable place to stay. It was happy days. Like, again, nothing really dried because <laughs> of the elevation. Um, you know, you're quite high up and it's tropical climate. So, but yeah, everything was fine there. Just chatting with people about their experience. People were kind of saying, oh, I, you know, that gravel was a bit 
not, I wouldn't say a technical, now in hindsight, I don't think it's technical, but it was just like, unlike day one, you know, it was like a progression to another level of gravel, um, where some sections we really had to pay attention if you were going particularly on a, on a descent, but yeah, I mean, nice day. And then yeah, rolled into day. So I think that was like, I mean, total, it was about 146 kilometers I did that day. Yeah. 2,400 meters of climbing. But yeah, then on to day three. I mean, what was your perspective as my coach? Like, what were you thinking at this stage? Uh, So, you know, I I know we'd spoken about the plan of hit the checkpoints, sleep at the checkpoints, get the food at the checkpoints. And, you know, I'm watching yourself and Jay and going, yeah, you know, you're doing well because what you want to do is if you're doing that is to get to the checkpoints nice and early, get some good sleep stay ahead of your sleep, stay on top of the fatigue and and keep the food coming in. I think you were always, when I'm watching a client, any client do a race like this, there's always a moment where you just start staring at the dot watching screen going, why aren't you up yet? Why aren't you riding yet? It's five o'clock in the morning. You should have been riding an hour and a half ago. You're wasting time. Did you do that for me? No, not really. No, no, I don't think I did. I definitely did it to Jay a few times. He (laughs) definitely was enjoying his late starts more than you were. But, you know, yeah, you just kind of, you live vicariously through it because I know what it's like. I know I've I've been there so many times and you just like, I know what you're going through on the ground. Mm. But also, you know, what it takes the focus so much when you want to finish these things is about getting the time on the bike. Yeah. So those early starts are so important. You know, if you get up and you're riding by half four, you're you just make the whole of your day easier. And and you did. You know, I you know I I wake up, think I was an, two hours behind you here in the UK. Mm-hmm. So you know I'm getting up at six o'clock when my wife's alarm goes off, and I'm looking. The first thing you do is you reach up and you grab the grab the tracking, grab your iPad so you can look at the tracking site. And uh, you're like, yes, brilliant. You know, Dawn's already kind of two hours up the road. She's probably at the top of the volcano section. And Jay, why haven't you moved yet? Why aren't you moving? (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the challenges for this particular race and getting up was like, you could get up, but sometimes you're waiting a little while for breakfast. (laughs) Yeah. And and yes, I think that's, uh, that's where maybe the experience comes in. I think that's where maybe Mm. your goals in the race change how you approach things. Because I think often when your goal is to really finish as fast as you possibly can, you aren't waiting around for breakfast. You're just going and you eat on the, you eat as you go. But I think, you know, when your goal is to finish you, there has to be, and you're not used to it, or it's, it's not a race that you're super experienced in, then a bit more self-care, a bit more food is really important. I think for like for me, it wouldn't have been an option to to not have breakfast there because the refuel, the re like the resupply was was more challenging than other races I'd done. Yeah. So I was like, we need to have food or take it with us or whatever. But yeah, I mean, slept well there. Next morning, got up, started, and that was right into a climb like over the volcano, like around the volcano, over the volcano. Um, I, I think up up into the foothills of the volcanoes, up yeah. towards where the gorillas are. Uh, that and that was one of my most beautiful. I really enjoyed that section. Did you? I mean. I thought the day before was quite nice, nicer, like in terms of vistas and everything. This part I was, um, so we, you know, we leave the African Rising Cycling Center and we cycle up a climb, like it's part tarmac and then it goes into gravel and the gravel was very like dark volcanic rock, like Mm. very 
bumpy, <laughs> very, very bumpy, um, which was different to the day before. And I mean, as, and as I was cycling up, there was a one and only hotel there. And I was like, mm, <laughs> how nice would that be? <laughs> I was thinking about all the things I left behind in terms of comfort. But anyways, when we reached the, the, the gravel section there, it was I mean, it was fine. It was just bumpy. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't technical in any way going up, but it was just a different type of gravel. And that was fine. Like that was good morning as well. Um, the kids on that section were super cute. We stopped, um, a couple of times, uh, again, like Julie and I were kind of like, I catch up to her. She catch up to me, vice versa. And then, um, that going down some of that descent from that first climb was a bit, um, you know, not, I, I don't want to say technical because nothing was like technical, like, like it was further, but it was like, you know, big ruts in the road and looked like things have been washed out and stuff like that. But again, that was super, that was fine. Went on to a tarmac section and it should be noted that I think I've just mentally blocked out all the tarmac because I really don't remember <laughs> it. <laughs> the gravel has just taken like quote unquote gravel has just like dominated my mind. Like this is my, you know, these are the things I talked about with my therapist. <laughs> but I don't really remember much of that tarmac. Like I know I went from one, that section to another section and which was, yeah, I think, I think it was that section with the really, really high climb. Can you, do you- I, I think, yeah, I think this is where it, uh, I think this is where everything started to change because in the year we, I did it, we were just straight on the top. We came off the gravel around the volcano and then it was just tarmac all the way to Gisenyi and the border with uh, DRC. But I think you had this detour up to 3,000 meters. And, Which was actually fine. Like it was... Fine, cl- the climbing up to the altitude or fine. Like, the, the track up was good. The track up most of the way, I mean, some parts of it were super steep. Uh, so it's weird. I like, I don't, I'm famous last words, but you know, the stuff that, if I look back in hindsight about this race, I didn't mind the climbs, you know, I didn't mind if it was rideable, like if it was, you know, just steep, but then that was okay. And for that particular climb for me, it was steep in sections, but it wasn't overly technical in any way. So Mm -hmm. that was okay. I felt good about that. And up at the top was just beautiful. Like it was so beautiful. I was alone, it was like Switzerland, you know, looking out on some of these. It was just magical up there. It was like, you know, Julie said it looked like a Scottish pine forest, you know, like these really, really tall trees at the top and just no one, you know, no one around. And it was a bit steep right at the top. Um, like it had steep sections and it was steep at the top as well. So I had to get off and walk up some of it because it was like really soft dirt, like really not mud, but just soft, soft, soft dirt. It's super steep. But I love that. I loved it. I thought it was so beautiful up there and magical and serene. You know, I felt like I was in an enchanted forest. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, coming down though, that was a bit of a challenge because it was a bit chilly, number one, but uh, there was construction right at the top of that uh, climb and trucks were just barreling up and down this road to get there, which felt a bit, you know, when you heard a truck, I just sometimes stop because you're on a bit of a dirt road where, I don't know, you know what I mean? I didn't feel like yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to play with a truck or play chicken with a truck. So I just kind of pull over to the side and on the way down, 
and um, I'm not embarrassed to say this. I think this was the day. Uh, some again, it's all mel- melding into one. But I actually walked down some of the sections because <laughs> they were so steep, and I was just like, I don't want to. Like I don't know. I knew it had organic brake pads on the bike, so yeah. I, I think this is an interesting one when people. I've, I've had this conversation with a few people. People coming from a road riding and a road racing background and mindset, and you you don't walk. Walking is an admission of failure. But when you go onto an ultra race, walking's fine. You know, it's it's about making progress. It's not about proving, well, I can ride this. There's so many times that I've got off and walked, and it was interesting following with a few people afterwards who kind of went through that lesson like beforehand they were like uh, you know you can't walk you can't walk and then realized actually it's a totally acceptable part of how how you tackle an ultra race yeah yeah i mean like you just need to keep moving forward right and for me like look i've walked a lot lot of races i'm not ashamed to say it but i mean for me it's like i know my level of skill when it comes to gravel riding and i know i had organic brake pegs on the bike and i know there's possibly going to be rain at some stage so it's just like i'm not going to burn out my brakes here or my hands and i just walk down it and also the trucks that were barreling down that road as well between me and another cyclist, like one of them, one of these trucks went right into the side of the mountain. So, um, I mean, for the most part, the gravel roads were pretty safe from a traffic point of view, but, um, you know, still accidents were happening around us. So I didn't really want to kind of put my, you know, self in any danger with that. But yeah, coming off of that, what happened that day? This is day three. Yeah, and I I think that section probably, that climb certainly impacted speeds of people because I think this is where the the plan of, you know, checkpoint to checkpoint starts to unravel a little bit because I think quite a few of you then didn't make CP3 uh, and stopped somewhere beforehand. Yeah, so we didn't make CP3, but I I, I mean, that section, I wouldn't be the section that I said would throw us off course, like threw me off plan. That mm-hmm. that section didn't in particular. Went into Lake Kivu, caught up with a couple other people who were racing at, you know, a restaurant. We all ate lunch, like, you know, filled our boots kind of thing. And then that, you know, leaving there, we then went down to the Congo Nile Trail, which was short. It was a short gravel section, but technical <laughs> in some sections, steep, challenging because it was in a populated area as well. I mean, it's a mountain bike trail. So, but again, beautiful, 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 like beautiful vistas over the lake. Really, really nice. I think I put up a video. I wasn't really like active on social media during this race. My, the last races I've done, I was kind of updating people, but I was just like really focused on what I needed to get done. But at this section, I was like, okay, the gravel's starting to deteriorate a bit from what I had in mind being gravel. <laughs> I was like, "Mm, you know, this is kind of stuff I would go on a dirt bike, you know, or an enduro bike. This looks like a nice trail, not necessarily on this gravel bike that I'm on. And uh, when when you say dirt bike, you mean your dirt bike with a with an engine in it? With a motor, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, yeah, we went over that. That's where the plan started to derail a little bit, like just in terms of how far we had gone that day and where we were going, because Julie was around at this point mex was around as well we ran into a rwandan cyclist who was on <laughs> i mean look i'm there saying oh this is technical oh blah 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 he was on like a bike with like 
23, you know, millimeter tires, just kind of cruising up some of this stuff. So don't take my word for it. Um, on this particular gravel section, I'm just saying it is called a mountain bike trail. That's all. That's all I'll say about that. So went up there and then, um, worse, you know, worse, I think it was about, I don't know, 70 kilometers then to CP3. And uh, I was like, I don't think I'm going to make it tonight because it was getting, you know, gets dark early there. It's super dark. So made the decision to ride for a distance. And then, you know, it looked like there were thunderstorms. I'm, and I'm sure, you know, Neil, like, you know, it kind of seems like it's the valley over. Is it going to come this way? Are we, you know, we were going through quite again, like went from people around all day to then nothing, <laughs> you know, no people, no street lights, like nothing, nothing seems open. And I was seeing some places like, oh, you know, B&B. And I was like, this maybe where is this where is this bed and breakfast? Um, but ended up at a place called Clement House, which I have to give a shout out to because a couple other racers were there, Juliet and Juliana, and then uh, Jay and Bart showed up, and uh, Mex was there. Julie was there again. Another group of us. Um, party time again. Party time, but I think it's just because there was limited, you know, places to stay along the route that people, when you found one, like everyone found it. Um, so we. We landed there at the end of the day. Um, I mean, that day, again, I did about 142 kilometers, 2,800 meters of climbing. It got slow going. It was slow going for sure. And we got there and um, Juliana had messaged me and said, oh, they don't have food. And I was like, okay. I was I was with Julie and Max. We were kind of riding around the same time. And I was like, they said there's no food. <laughs> we were like, oh no. But then when we showed up, they actually could make food. And, um, you know, they were like, what would you like? We're like, I don't know, fish, rice, vegetable. And they were like, okay, cool. We'll do it. And what showed up in an hour was the most amazing meal I think I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And that's, that's the best feeling, isn't it? When you're so hungry, you're so tired, you're expecting something miserable. And then this amazing plate of food turns up. Yeah, it was like, you know, I didn't have any expectations. Like I have to say the food in Rwanda when we could get a hot meal was delicious, really fresh. You know, it was a lot of farming, farming's big industry there. And it was, it was amazing. So had a beautiful, beautiful meal. They didn't want us to take the bikes into the room and we kind of convinced them. And then I was like trying to clean. I was like, we destroyed the bathroom, <laughs> like <laughs> all the dirt all over our bodies. I was trying to tidy up a bit because I felt bad and stuff. Um, but yeah, we stayed there. And then, so yeah, day one, day two, day three. I mean, everything was pretty much on track for me. <laughs> so, you know, again, I, I then wake up day four check the tracker first thing in the morning because i'd obviously seen you all stop uh stop before cp3 uh and knew that the goal would be to get to cp3 and then crack on quickly and you'd again you'd started you'd made start early made good progress yeah and i think you all made it to cp3 in pretty good time we did yeah we did i think as just the sun was coming up we reached cp3 felt very good to reach CP3. Knew there was a big, long climb ahead of us, a gravel climb, which was fine. And knew that most of it would be on, well, the first part of it anyways, would be on day one gravel, nice gravel, as I like to call it. <laughs> um, and it was really nice. It was a beautiful climb up. I mean, we reached CP3, filled our boots full of food. 
and then um, found a little grocery store in town that had M and M's <laughs> that were oh, super expensive. Heaven. I know because there was it's hard to get chocolate in Rwanda. Absolutely, yeah. You, it's not like you can walk into a petrol station and get you know six Snickers bars and a bag of crisps. Yeah, no. So I was my joy that day was getting what were like look like Twinkies, you know, like that American like cake but they're made in Turkey. So Turkish Twinkies, <laughs> which were delicious, by the way, and M&Ms. And I had a Coke and that was, I was super happy about that. And then we started that climb and it was pretty nice in the beginning. Like it was, it was really nice gravel. It started to sprinkle a little bit of rain, you know, just enough to keep us cool or keep me cool. I know Julie was far up ahead. So it was just me. And um, yeah, it was kind of like, it was, yeah, it was just a really, it was a, like, it was a bit of a relentless climb. I think it was 27 kilometer climb that we had, but it was nice. It was fine. You know, it was, it was what it was. Then we reached the point and I knew this because Bart had mentioned this before. One of the racers is that he had done that climb before and he said, it's fine up to the point. There's a refugee camp at the top. And, you know, sometimes these UN uh, trucks were barreling past us. And so I knew there would be at some point we reach the refugee camp and he goes, then I don't know what it's like. <laughs> and that's where it started to get a bit funky <laughs> and sketchy. I mean, and again, that's not even that bad, that part, <laughs> like really, but it started to get a bit, you know, technical, ruddy road condition de- deteriorated. But again, cycling along, some sections were fine. Some of it wasn't like we're going one part and it was super steep. And then there was just like a group of cows. And I was like, I'm not trying on technical gravel to go past cows. <laughs> like I'm afraid. So walk some sections. And then we were on top of the tea plantations, which for the most part was nice. You know, the road quality deteriorated in some sections. But what was challenging about being up there was these wooden bridges that we were passing all the time that's you know, you just kind of have to, Simon had told us before in the race briefing, like, don't try to ride over them because, you know, you can get your wheels stuck in them. So ride along like 50 meters and then there's another wooden bridge. Why ride along 50 meters? And I was like, okay, what is, when's this going to end? <laughs> um, it just felt like a really, really, really long day of climbing. And then, you know, running into other people along the way. And we reached a section which... I think I started to be like, what are we doing? What is happening? What is going on? <laughs> and this is pretty much, it feels like the whole day we were, we were climbing, you know, up this and it was starting. Yeah. Now to get maybe a bit dark, like, or not a bit dark, but it was, you know, sun sunset was going to be creeping up on us soon. And that's when we were started to go up like a really, really, really technical section, which certainly was beyond my skill level and beyond what I thought this, the bike that I had could go on. And I was wishing I kept the 50 millimeter tires on my bike that I had on when I was training on it. And, uh, that was a lot of hike a bike for me (laughs) and for Julie. And and more than you beyond what you'd expected. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's not, um, yeah, it was beyond what I expected, particularly because I'd interviewed Simon before. 
<laughs> about it and uh, <laughs> about the race. And obviously people listen to that podcast. And I think a lot of people were caught out by that section in particular um, because it it was for me, you know, a pure mountain bike trail and there were mountain bikers coming down it um, as we were going up it. And getting to the top of that, I mean, was good. <laughs> but then there's the... Good, good is in a sense of relief. A sense of relief, but then a sense of what's next. Because yeah. at the top of that, there were two trails. One was... There was a, guy, a bunch of guys playing soccer up there. Football, whatever you want to call it. Um, football, please. Yeah, football, soccer. Okay, they were playing soccer slash football. And they were trying to point us over to one direction where there was a really nice path, like, you know, a really smooth kind of path that people, I'm presuming, would ride their bikes on as well. And the navigation was taking us through a swampy marshland. (laughs) And at this stage, I was just like, why? (laughs) Why are we going over this? This is a bike race. I didn't come on a bike race, be walking over swampland. And then um, that section down, I thought was quite sketchy as well. And uh, we were going down through it in dusk. It was very, it was single, single track mountain bike trail. Like it it was, Um, it was a riverbed at some section. It was washed out in one section. There was no cell reception. And that was kind of like, okay, you know, (laughs) questioning your life choices. Yes. I was really questioning my life choices at that stage. And, um, once we got down out of that, there was really, really long, long gravel descent. I mean, we got out of it. Thank God. Like it was fine when it was still getting a bit dusky, but then the rain started, like it just started to rain when we reached the good gravel, the good gravel part. And so we put on rain jackets, whatever. And the rain was just in our face the whole time, like down this, you know, (laughs) 40 kilometer, I don't know how long it was. It was really long gravel descent. And then it got dark and then the rain kind of stopped, which was fine. And, you know, in hindsight, people had told me about that section that they had done in the in the light. And it's almost better I did in the dark because I didn't see. Like I couldn't <laughs> just did it, you know, like I couldn't really see what it was. It was fine compared to anything earlier that day, you know, in terms of the sense. But yeah, I'm kind of glad I didn't see it. We reached the tarmac. I hope Julie's okay with me telling this, but Julie at some stages was like, I need to go use the, you know, I need to go wee. And I'm like, don't fall off the mountain, you know, earlier in the day. I was like, don't fall off the mountain, whatever you do. So anyways, we reached the tarmac and Mex is there and Julie goes to go have a wee. And all I see are her legs go up in the air. And I was like, oh my God. I said, oh my God, we just got out of this section and Julie just fell off a mountain. <laughs> I was like, I thought she was gone. <laughs> Thankfully, she wasn't. She was okay. And we continued on, on the tarmac in the dark. And yeah, we were planning then to reach a town called Gisakura, which was right before the Nyungui rain. Is it Nyungui? Yes. Nyungui rainforest. Nyungui yeah. rainforest. I, I'm just looking now because I, obviously I have all your all your data and all your track in front of me. So I can, <laughs> I can see exactly what you you've seen got. you the to. average speed is like, you know, what, like 10? <laughs> Uh, yeah, nine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there nine. you go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I and it's off-road, it's difficult. It's, uh, that's always going to happen. Yeah, it was, it was difficult. Yeah, I'll say that. So we start riding, we're going to reach Gisakura and that's where the day just got a million times worse. 
Okay, so we've kind of we've we've gone through the these terrible technical mountain bike trails. We've got rained upon. Yeah. We're cold. We're wet. We've lost Julie down the side of a mountain. Lakes flying in the air. Yeah. And then it gets worse. <laughs> then it gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How can it? How can it possibly get worse? We were cycling along. We're going to reach Gisakura. Like there was places to stay there, and oh, what happened? The heavens opened up on top of us. And I think with about 14, 13 kilometers to go to Gisakura, we just got caught in the worst downpour that I've ever been caught in, you know, thunder, lightning, the road just flooded instantly to the point where I almost came off the bike because there's a little, you know, like they have a little shoulder there that's tiny bit you know, down from the main road. And I couldn't see that. And we just dismounted our bikes and just ran to the nearest shelter. And, um, you know, like it was dark, this, this house, Julia's like, is this a bus shelter? I said, I think it's someone's house, you know, like, but I was just like cursing, you know, cursing Simon, I think cursing you maybe. <laughs> cursing. Seems appropriate. Cursing myself. Uh, yeah. And anyways, Julie was like, is this a bunch of I was like, someone's house? And then, you know, someone peeked out the someone peeked out the door and I was like, oh no, it's someone's house. And we're like here, like two lunatics on bikes. Like, you know, what are we doing? And um, he was a really nice guy named Emmanuel. It was his family home and his mother came out to meet us. We were like, oh my God, we're so sorry. We're like terrible. And at that stage, like we were freezing. It was so unbelievably cold because we were so wet. And I just said, I need to get out of here. I need to, to, you know, we need to find a way out of here. And the rain wasn't letting up. And, you know, this is fully, I've, I've told race organizers this, we, Emmanuel got someone in the town to help us bring our bikes to Gisakura, which we did do. And I said, you know, for me personally, I would make a decision the next morning on what I wanted to do if I was going to ride back there or get a ride back. Because the race rules state, you know, like if you go back to the section where you are, you can ride from there. Um, I told Matt, the organizer, what had happened. But I mean, for us, like for me in particular, my, my thinking was I just need to be safe right now. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going out into a wild weather pattern for this to happen again, where I'm shaking, you know, really, really cold. There's nothing close around here to, to stay in. So that was my um, decision to do that and got to the, you know, guest house. There was no hot water. <laughs> Great day then. Yeah, there was no hot water, which I think Julie was more upset about than I was for sure. Um, I mean, I was upset. I was pretty upset about no hot water, but I just washed off my legs, you know, at least because they were the, they were filthy from all the the dust and dirt and everything. And then just got into bed and I said, I'll figure it out in the morning, you know, but it was probably the hardest day I've had on a bike. Yeah, 100%. So. <laughs> and yeah, hard because it just sounds like you got hit with everything. It will, I, yeah, it felt like it felt like everything that day was just nothing was going right. You know, like nothing was easy. Nothing. I was really questioning myself a lot that day and also, you know, looking around at Rwanda and thinking, I don't want to dislike this country because of, you know, because of what I'm doing here because it's absolutely beautiful, but I was just a miserable miserable kind of 
hard, like some points of it were nice. Like I said, the gravel climb, the M&Ms, you know, like nice, but then it just got progressively hard. And, you know, the, the recency fallacy states that, you know, the most recent events are the ones that Mm -hmm. then kind of affect your view on things. So yeah, that was very, very difficult. Yeah. So the next morning we got up and I was just like, I was kind of like, I'm not going back there. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what was your what was your state of mind the next morning? You wake up, you've had this this awful day, and and the and the the, the cold and the wet just sucks everything out of you. Yeah, um, and I feel and like you just I've, feel like you've been. Yeah, I mean, as a Canadian who's lived in the Middle East for 11 years, I am totally soft when it comes to cold. <laughs> like I feel it so <laughs> acutely. I get really like in my bones cold. Yeah. I'm useless now. And um, the next morning I woke up and, you know, I said to myself, I'll carry on. I'm not going back. I'm, I just, I said, if I finish it, just take a thousand minus 13. I don't care what anyone thinks, but I'm not turning around right now. (laughs) Like I refuse. And I don't mind like if it's a disqualified finish, you know, like, whatever. I know I cycled however long and so be it. And let's face it, I'm not in the pointy end. So, you know, if someone wants to dispute me, fine. (laughs) You know, I know what I've done. So I said, I'm not going to go back. I'll ride on and I see, I'll see how I feel. You know, so everyone set off. We were kind of messaging back and forth in the back of the group and people were carrying on and everything. And uh, we went through, started to go through Nungui rainforest. I was like, I want to see the rainforest, you know, because Simon was like, go see, you see the rainforest. We all know and it starts to get like super foggy. <laughs> like just so, I was like, yeah, I'm really seeing the rainforest now. I love this. <laughs> like, yay. <laughs> and, um, you know, that section, like it's along the border and there's quite a lot of uh army personnel stationed around which actually made me feel really safe to know that there were people around who i guess are somehow trained in survival <laughs> Uh, did did you get that sense? I I mean, yes, there are. There's there there looked like there was a conscript every hundred meters when I came through it. I I I'm not sure I had a sense of these people are going to help me <laughs> if it goes horribly wrong. But I, would... I, I think I I probably came through in slightly different conditions. I mean, I remember the fog. Yeah, the fog for sure, and it was cold up there. Um, but uh, I I think you definitely had it worse. Yeah. Well, what happened was that it's like I had four seasons that day that I mean, it was only ultimately 54 kilometers I did that day. Those are 1400 meters. The climbs again, fine. I don't mind those, you know, like I felt fit enough. It wasn't the physical aspect of it wasn't uh, the issue. But this particular stretch of road, really remote, like no places to stop. I think there's one guest center beyond that. Like there's not much and there's a lot of big trucks on it which is fine. There's really no shoulder on a lot of the section. And as I'm cycling through, the heavens open up again. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, I think I sent you pictures from there. I was just like, okay. You did, yeah. You you sent me a picture of going, look at this rain. And I, it, I said, you're in the rainforest. I think it does yeah, exactly like, what it says on the thanks, tin. Neil. I was like, mm. I was like, that probably didn't s- help, did it? No, I was like, don't be smart with me. But anyways, I stood under a tree for a bit and I was just like, you know, I had a bit of shade and there was lightning and thunder and the whole shemang and stuff. And I said, okay, I'll stay here for a bit. Didn't seem to stop. It wasn't seem to slow down. And then 
uh, you know, Jay kind of rolls up. Who's, you know, you're also coaching Jay. Jay rolls up and he he stopped and I was like, okay, you know, it looked like the rain was letting up a bit. And then, okay, let's carry on. I was like, there's a hotel, you know, at 54 kilometers from my Wahoo, like 14 kilometers from here, there's a hotel. So let's carry on. At least we can stop there and get something to eat or something, you know? And, um, Anyways, uh, we continue on a bit. Then it really starts to rain, like really, really, really bad. I was like, oh, please, you know, and we stop again. And then, you know, it's like we have a discussion. I'm like, we can't stay here. Or I can't stay here. I'm not staying here. <laughs> I'm going to ride the 14 kilometers long. And, you know, most of it was downhill. There was one climb. Most of it was downhill. And just make it to this hotel and then figure out what to do. So we start and, you know, it's wet. It's super cold. You think a descent is good, but not when you're freezing, you know, you can't keep warm. And at this stage too, it should be noted, like this section of road, I'd gone past about three accidents, you know, old ones, like trucks beat up. And now in this rain, these huge trucks are kind of coming down sideways, you know, down the road, like sliding. And I just felt like, what the hell am I doing? (laughs) What am I doing? What am I actually doing? For who? What am I doing? And, you know, I said 54 kilometers. I'm going to make it there. It's 54 kilometers from here. And I get to 54 kilometers and there's no hotel. There's two guys, like two army dudes. And I stop because the truck's coming by me really, really close. I stop. And one of the guys comes over. He's like, are you okay, sister? And I went, no, no, I'm not. And I burst into tears. (laughs) (laughs) having like a meltdown because I was like, not okay. I was like, I am not okay. And I was like, is there a hotel around here? And he goes, the other guy goes, it's 200 meters up the road. Oh, no. And I said, (laughs) I said, are you sure? Are you sure? (laughs) He's like, yes. I went, okay, thank you. (laughs) And anyways, I cycled on. And from that 200 200 meter stretch, I just went, I don't hate myself. I don't hate myself. I don't hate myself. I love myself. I love myself. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And um, got to the hotel. (laughs) Got to the hotel and it's like up a really kind of steep road, you know, little road up to this hotel, up to the reception. It's like a jungle lodge. It's really nice. And I walked into the reception area and burst into tears again in there. And the guy running it was like, someone get her a blanket, light the fire, because there was a fireplace there. And I think at that part, my heart of hearts, I probably knew I wasn't going to continue on at that stage. Yeah, I didn't officially scratch until the next morning because, you know, you want to have your time to think about that. And if you're going to do that, you get some food in you, weather changes. But yeah, that's where I decided to scratch. you You were alive and well. You'd survived the jungle apocalypse. Yeah, uh, and I I heard stories of people hiding from. I think Eddie hid from the rain underneath a overturned lorry. I know so that he, one he because he found an overturned lorry on the road and he hid under the rain from it. I know um, that one because I said it looked like a good spot to stay under the rain. Right, okay, I can stay dry under there. I mean, and and again, you know, then you know, photos start coming through, and it's because I think that again, quite a few of you collected into that hotel. Yeah, and I, I, I Julie has come back. 
Okay, I'm getting photos of you all huddled around this fire like you were in some mountain ski resort or something. Yeah. Not supposed to be. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting. You know, we go to Africa and we think it's going to be warm and lovely and what have you. Um, it, again, the joy of having all this data. It was eight degrees. Yeah, it was cold. Which, and for me, like... Which, which is cold. Yeah, but, but being used to, like, desert weather, you know what I mean? Like, Dubai, like, Middle East, like, eight is like, you might as well, it might as well have been minus 50 for me. <laughs> That's how cold I was. It was freezing so yeah it was I mean at that decision like I said riding up there I was really thinking about what am I actually doing why am I doing this like I felt me personally I didn't necessarily trust the next gravel section or what was going to happen on it and I've had like I said to you before you know I've had two kind of instances this past these past three years, a near-death experience with a buggy fire, you know, dune buggy fire, which, you know, I thought that was it. And um, then being quite sick the following year in hospital for a week, I'm, I think I'm a lot less, like, I'm a lot less risk, or more risk averse than I was before, definitely. Um, yeah. And just had a and feeling I, like, at a cellular level, if I continued, something was going to happen to me. And I think... There's, there's nothing wrong with that decision-making. That decision-making is totally sound. We do, most people do these things for, not everybody's there to win. Not everybody there is to go and place highly. Most people aren't because, you know, to, to win these things is a difficult thing to do, which means we're, we're going looking for something else. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that, that what we're looking for can really vary. Yeah. Um, and I think making the right decision to to pull out to scratch is always a sound one. It was hard it, because I think it's very difficult. Yeah, and I think you know, like I had to process this a lot too because I was like, did I go into this thinking that this there was an easy out? Like I'm asking myself these questions. You know what I mean? Like, should I have continued on? You know, and then sometimes the ultimate decision I made is if I continued on that race, it wouldn't have been for me. It would have been because people thought I should have done that because I've been more public, you know, this time saying I'm doing a race. Obviously, I talked about it in the podcast and stuff in the prior races, you know, like particularly the first two just for me, you know, and the third one as well, like they were all for me. So I just said, if I continued on, would this actually be for me, you know, or because somebody thought I should finish? And I said, you know, I need to listen to myself this instant. And it's just, I had bad luck, you know, in terms of weather and maybe a bit surprised about the technical nature of the race a little bit, maybe more than a bit, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a decision and I don't, like I, I didn't regret it immediately and then kind of processed it a bit and was thinking, should I regret it? And then I don't regret it. Yeah, I don't regret it. I never intended okay. to go into a race and not finish it for sure, but it was harder, made harder by the fact that I felt physically I could have continued. Yeah. 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 So there you have it. Part one of this very long race report. If you're interested in the aftermath of a DNF, my DNF, please check out part two live now. I 
Also wanted to give a shout out to the Intercontinental Fujera Hotel for the wonderful post-race recovery staycation. If you're unfamiliar with the Northern Emirates of the United Arab Emirates, there are some wonderful places to ride your bike and the Intercon Fujera is the perfect base to explore from. Again, don't forget to check out the show notes for resources and links to the episodes I did with nine women who race around Rwanda with me. Thanks again. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends, and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.